Hello, hello, everybody. What's going on? It's Jesse Lee. You can call me hashtag boss Lee or the people's mentor. And I hope you definitely screen share this podcast, share it out to whoever and everybody you can think of. Put it in your Instagram stories, your Facebook stories, and definitely share with a friend because I have somebody on this podcast who is, he's one of my best friends. I love him so much. And I cannot wait to tell you more about him as we go over a couple of things, but definitely about some business common sense. And oh, absolutely building internationally. I have to tell y'all about my friend, Johnny Green. I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. He is a top earner in this profession, made multiple seven figures, and he is one of the best international builders of all time. He has 16 years in this profession. Over, He's created over 30 millionaires. Over 30 people he has mentored have made over a million dollars. He has sold over $1 billion and has done his business on six continents. He joked around. He said, I haven't yet had success in Antarctica. He lives in Houston, Texas, and we do not see each other nearly enough. And I need to see him because I need to be adjusted. And he was a chiropractor before he was a network marketer. But he's actually from a small town in Kentucky. And so the great state of Kentucky, I'll just get it out there before he has to say it. Uh, But he has built organizations of hundreds of thousands of people. And he comes from a big family. He is full of love. He is very smart and investing. He is just so sharp and I've loved getting to know him over the past couple of years. He actually came up to me when we taught at an event. He's like, hey, Jesse Lee, I'm Johnny Green. I'm like, what? And if you're not sure who he is, it's because he's known as the ghost of network marketing. He's He's so humble. I'm obsessed with it. You would have no idea how successful he is until you hear some of the things like I just said, and then you hear him speak. He literally just changed his name on the Zoom to the ghost as if anybody else is watching or looking at this. And I can't even see his bright, shining face, but that's okay. Uh, But he truly is one of my closest friends, and I love doing business with him. I love our conversations. I love his heart, and I love how, uh, how much he's into philanthropy and just changing this world one person at a time. So with no further ado, I'm so excited to invite to the people's mentor, the one and only ghost, Johnny Green. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm super fantastic. How are you doing, Jesse? I'm so great. I'm so great. I'm I'm very excited that we finally connected on here, even though we talk every single day. We couldn't hammer down time for a podcast, so this this excites me, and I'm excited for the value that you are going to provide today to all of these listeners. Okay, well, thank you so much, and um, I'm super excited to be on this podcast, and thank you for that edification piece. Whoa, that's all I can say is whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, the, the only other thing I would say is that I have to correct you. You said I'm from a small town, Beattyville, Kentucky. That is Beattyville, Kentucky. It's a pretty large city. And so, <laughs> it's a city so, so, I really yeah. don't feel like that's the truth. I feel like Beattyville, Kentucky is definitely like 14 people. But if it makes you feel better, you go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead. Let's get it started. Let's do it. So, Johnny Green, you are known for international building a lot in Asia, especially, but just all over the world, you have had tremendous success. And I would love to know, and I'm sure this is a pretty basic question, but we'll build off of it. How did that get started for you? And what is a tip you can give to people if they're starting to think, hey, I'd like for my business to uh, not be just local anymore. I would love for it to go global. Oh, you know, that's, that's really interesting. So this is kind of how, how everything got started. Uh, you know, rewind back to the year of 2009. I had a gentleman out of Canada uh, that I knew I was a good friend with, or we're still good friends to this day. His assistant um, had a buddy out of Las Vegas. And this guy in Las Vegas had a guy out of Malaysia. And this guy in Malaysia uh, wanted a USA company to come into Malaysia. In 2009, obviously, I don't know anything outside of, uh, you know, the United States, you know, really the Southeast region, because I was living in Atlanta, Georgia at the time, going to a chiropractor school. So what ended up happening, I connect directly with this guy from Malaysia. He tells me all these, you know, what what's the economy like and what's happening and, and how they're looking for a product. And at that time, the juice industry was hot. You had the Noni juice, you had... 
you know, Montevideo and all these other companies, it was like a big deal. So they were looking for a fresh company out of the United States. And so the company that I was building at the time, I asked the owners if they wanted to go to Malaysia, and uh, they were not interested at that time. As a young network marketer, as a young professional, I didn't understand what that was like when you have to take in consideration of product registration, the economic cost, um, you know, licenses, and, you know, shipping a product, logistics, and there's so many different variables that go into that. Um, so we ended up connecting. I flew out. I met with a few different owners, and I finally got a – I found an owner out of Kentucky who was willing to take a chance and go to Malaysia. So I said, all right, great. And at this point, it's like, what do you do now? You find a company that wants to take a chance on going to Malaysia. I never built anything in Malaysia. I immediately called a guy in Las Vegas, then called the guy in Canada. I said, hey, we're going to open up Malaysia for this company. It's a small Mickey Mouse deal. It's a small company. You never heard of it. But I said, we're going to do some big things. And I was just super passionate and super excited. And um, that's what happened. And so neither one of them were interested, like myself. They didn't know much about Malaysia, but I was willing to roll the dice. And so we started out. Uh, the gentleman, uh, hard worker, had a lot of integrity. He wasn't a big networker, but he was committed. And you know, give me somebody that has commitment and, and a good work ethic, and we can, you know, if they've got desire, we can make some things happen. And that's what we started at. And our first month, the first month in business was about January. We did about 3,000 in sales, not a lot. Uh, the second month, we was at around 6,000 to 7,000 in sales. And then by the third month, it was up to about 18 to 20,000. But what happened is something took a turn. And by the sixth month in business, we have what we have, you know, compound momentum and, and baby momentum and everything. We have all these different stages. By the sixth month in business, we were over a million a month in sales. And so that was very, very impressive because at that time, I had never seen that kind of growth. I had never seen uh, that kind of uh, success. And I've never seen somebody say, hey, we're going to come out and we're going to max out the comp plan and, and actually do it. Mm-hmm. And we did this before I even made a single trip over to Malaysia. So that's kind of how I got started in the international market. And then the rest was history. And um, yeah, and so as far as giving some people some tips, I don't necessarily advise people to do it that way. I always say, if you want to go international, expand international, it's a couple of things that you need to take in consideration. Number one, it's expensive. It's going to cost you some money. When you look at the flights, when you look at the hotel, uh, when you look at the food, you know, you're going to spend some money depending on what country you go to. And then number two, you can't just say, hey, I got a guy, I got a guy, I got a guy. Make sure you have someone that's committed. Make sure you have a leader who is, uh, you know, who has some character or some kind of integrity because who you start off with in the market, if you got somebody with character and integrity, then that's going to go down the, the pipeline. That's going to be a reflection of your organization. If you have someone that's unethical with no character or that jumps from company to company every 90 days, then that's going to be a reflection of what your organization will look like starting out. And so those are just a, a couple of good things, a couple of good tips when it comes to building the international market. So I love all of those things. And I, I have a couple of questions about that because I love that you said before you even took a single trip to Malaysia, it reminds me to kind of tell people about some of this stuff because I I literally see, ne- I even as recent as two years ago, I saw a big networker. He wanted a team, I believe in Thailand or Indonesia or something. He got on a plane and like roamed the streets of Indonesia to try to find marketers. So can you maybe give some like absolutely do not try this at home, kids? It does not work in regards to building internationally so people don't get on planes to Indonesia and roam the streets. <gasps> yeah. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's exactly what it's like. And so it was kind of different because my first time on an international platform, I hit a home, I literally hit a home run my first time, right? Yeah. Well, that company ended up getting acquired by another company. And, and so my second time around, uh, it wasn't as easy. It, I didn't get as lucky. It was, it was different because we're, we're not dealing with Malaysia. We're dealing with different countries. And so I'm in the Philippines and I'm in, in different, you know, other countries that um, our particular company was open in. And so 
I literally got on a plane, and although with most of these con- most of these countries you fly to, you have to have a round trip ticket in order to come back. You can't get a uh, one way ticket with a lot of these companies. But I figured out a way on how to get to some of these countries without a one you know without a round trip ticket. And I was in the Philippines, and I would get on a plane on a one way ticket, and I would not come back until I recruited people out there or until. Uh, you know, I made enough money to come back. And I would only take a limited amount of cash with me um, because it was really one of those situations where uh, I put myself in a situation to where failure was not an option. And if I didn't recruit somebody, if I didn't sell some product or whatever, I wasn't going to be able to come back home. And I knew that I could only stay over for a certain amount of time or else I had to come back home anyway. And so that's kind of what I did. I went to the Philippines the second time around. And um, I actually ended up, you know, it, it was some challenge you know, learning the countries. And I got a lot of rejection, but I learned a lot about the culture because you're talking about the U.S. economy where the dollar has so much more value. The average per capita per income is so much more over here. And then you're talking about a country where the average person is making three or $400 a month for yeah. a family of four. However... When you look at it and when you break it down, I mean, their stress level is a lot less. I mean, they're having fun, they're happy and so forth. And so the one thing that I will say when it comes to the do not try at home, do not try this at home. Because I would go to some of the major hotels and I would sit in the lobby with some paraphernalia of my company and I would recruit and prospect everybody. The most valuable person in an international market for me was always a taxi driver. I would not get in an Uber. I would get in a taxi driver because I would wait till I found one that could speak English. I would get in a taxi driver. They'd take me to the hotel. And they would, you know, we get to talk. And i say, well, what are you doing here? You know, what brings you to the country, whether it was Thailand or Indonesia or Malaysia or, or uh, Hong Kong or whatever. They said, well, what brings you to this country? And I would say, hey, look, I got a business. We're expanding into this market. I'm, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm super excited because I know we got a strong product. We want to change a lot of lives. And so what I found is that a lot of these individuals were already familiar with network marketing. Some of these countries, it was as high as 23% of the population were doing network marketing. So they were already familiar with the direct sales industry and the network marketing industry. And it was it was simple. And so I say, the taxi driver, I said, look, hey, I'm here for you know about four or five days. Okay, I want you to be my personal taxi driver. Give me uh, your cell phone or something, um, you know, WhatsApp, whatever it is, and here's the deal. I'm going to tip you. I don't normally tip the taxi drivers, but I'm going to tip you. But if you've got some prospects that's open to being healthier, or if they're open to making extra money, bring them to the hotel lobby. Lunch on me. And literally, that was how I started four different countries through a taxi driver. And the taxi driver ended up not only becoming my personal driver, but he became the real MVP. He brought the people. I knew if he could get some people out to the table, it was just a numbers game on who I could close. And then when I showed him, hey, you know, thank you for bringing these people out. I'm going to show you how to make some part-time income. Oh, the rest was history. So that's how... That's one of my secrets. Yeah, that's a secret. We have been friends for years, and you know how much I travel internationally. I'm feeling betrayed on the podcast right now. I have, I have been, I feel betrayed, Johnny Green. That is so good. <laughs> well, you know, I got to tell you, that's the way I mean, you're the best when it comes to social media, right? So when we sat down in Dallas and we had lunch and, and we talked for a little bit, Obviously, I could not learn every single thing that you were teaching me from social media. Just like you couldn't learn everything from an international standpoint. So that's the power of relationships. You got to keep the relationships open so you can continue to talk. But I want to say this. I'm not trying what I did at home because everybody doesn't have that. um, Number one, I had a lot more flexibility than the average person. Uh, The second thing is my mindset was a lot more different. It was much different from the average person because, you know, failure failure is not an option to me. I don't, you know, rejection is nothing. The more people to say no, to me, no only means not yet. But that was the second way I did it. Now, the third way that I did it, this was later on in my career, the third way that I built the international market 
with what I would tell you to try at home if you live in the United States. And what that means is go into your own backyard. And so go into your backyard and, you know, go to some of these, go support some of these. If you want to go into Asia or Latin America or Africa, whatever country, Europe, you know, start off and go support some of these local businesses, such as your massage places, uh, you know, the nail salons. I didn't know anything about Vietnam. I got into the Vietnamese community through nail salons. So, and then you look at some of your cleaners, you look at some of your Thai restaurants. I love Thai food, uh, the Thai restaurants and the Korean restaurant. That helped me get into different markets. And so your backyard, I think the third way was probably the most effective way, but this was years later. I'm a little older. I ended up finding somebody that I contacted back in 2011. We had lunch back in 2011. Uh, nothing really came out of that meeting. Fast forward years later, uh, a lady by the name of Lisa Grossman reconnected us again. So we already knew each other um, because they only lived 15 minutes away from me. We reconnected. And this is a true story. The year is 2015. They were going into a, a Korea. They were going into Korea. It was like 2014, 2015. And they simply asked me, like, who do you know in Korea? I said, well, I know a few people in Korea. And at that time when they asked me the question, I had a buddy of mine. He wasn't a big networker, but he had a database in Korea. He, he knew a lot of people in Korea, and he knew a lot of people who had influence, and this is South Korea. And so I said, well, let me call him and see what he wants to do. I'll call him, and he was hungry. Not only was he hungry, he got his own plane ticket, and within three days, he flew to Houston. So I pick him up at the airport. I thought he was joking. He uh, sent me a screenshot of um, where he's at at the George Bush Intercontinental Airport. I was like, okay, I'll be at Terminal E. I'll see you soon. So I pick him, pick him up from the airport, and, and the guy who lived uh, 15 minutes away, he meets me at the airport, and we talk about this company and the plan and everything else. And, and it was really interesting because we ended up opening Korea for this company. And literally, I've never, to this day, had this kind of success this fast with this much sales in a 34-day time frame. We executed a plan and we put together a strategy and literally we precisely executed everything. In the first 34 days, we did 7.4 million sales. And so I've never been a part of that much volume that fast. And it literally changed my whole outlook on the international market because all I could think about was I'm spending all this money, I'm flying back and forth, and, you know, I got, you know, kind of tall, so I got to, you know, either fly business class or at the very least, the very least economy plus. And it's a long flight. And then I come to find out the answer was 15 minutes away from me. So, uh, you know, it's just, it just, there's so many different ways to build the international market. We have social media now. We have uh, law of attraction marketing. And it's, it's great, but it's uh, definitely, it's definitely very, very powerful. Yeah, I love all of that. Thank you for sharing that. And I agree. Uh, my Most of my international market markets are all because of social media. Uh, and then I just go to support them. So I love that you keep mentioning passion and excitement and also just character, integrity, etc. But I really loved how you were talking about the difference between your mindset and how no only means not yet. And I know that you, I, I mean, I know you very well. So I know about your, you were, you grew up and you were academically good. And then I know that in sports, you were, you know, you were an achiever in sports, track and field for, you know, college. I mean, what is that for you though? Like what, what makes you like that? And how, how do you think you can help people? Cause you've created 30, helped create 30 millionaires. Like what, what is that? What is that? Is that something you can teach? Is that just Johnny Green? Like what is that? I think a lot of it has to do with um, my upbringing. And so growing up in a big city of Babyville, Kentucky. <laughs> uh, now we've gone straight to big city. Okay. You know, Babyville, Kentucky, you know, my parents are originally from East St. Louis. And, you know, Babyville, Kentucky, that's where I grew up at. That's where I went to high school at. That's where I played sports at. And it's a beautiful, beautiful city. It's a tourist city, beautiful, you know, we have all these visitors. But what's interesting is that at one point in just the last uh, few years, um, Babyville was named one of the poorest cities, and not one, it was named the poorest city in America. And so the mindset is that, you know, you're growing up and you see that 
they probably got about a 50% dropout in the high school, right? But you know, it's this mindset that if you can make it out of the city, if you can make it out of the county, we have the education to prepare us. We have perfect, we have teachers that actually cared about us that, you know, wasn't there for a salary. They actually wanted to see us um, make something of ourselves. And then my mother, she's very goal oriented. She's, um, you know, very driven. My mom pushed me a lot. And so I think being the youngest in my household, it was five of us that grew up in my household. I was the youngest. I had uh, two sisters and two brothers, and all of them were, were very, very good athletes. You know, I was the worst athlete in the family. So I didn't have enough speed to do the sprinters because they were all sprinters and jumpers, 100, 100 meter, 200 meter dash, long jump, stuff like that. I didn't have the speed to do any of those events. So I had to try something different to continue the athletic family tradition. So that's when I started doing mid-distance and distance running. And my seventh grade year when I tried out, I didn't make the team. I could not only not make the team, I couldn't even run a 5K without stopping. It was pretty embarrassing. And so my eighth grade year, that's when I actually made the team. And by the time I was in high school, I never lost a home meet. I was a captain and all of that. I went on to have an extraordinary a high school career, then went to college and ran and all of that. So it was great. But the story behind the story is that you've got to have something that drives you. You have to have something that's like a thorn in your side to where you refuse to accept being mediocre. And I think that being the worst athlete in my family, you know, I had brothers that was just naturally talented, naturally talented. I couldn't beat my sister until my junior year in high school. Um, it just drove me to want to do more and it drove me to want almost what I would call perfection. And I wanted to be the best at whatever I did. And so that translated, I also played basketball. I was very competitive, but that translated over to my network marketing career because one of the things that I learned growing up in Beattyville, Lee County, we didn't have a lot of resources. So you had to learn how to play with the cards that you dealt with. And so it's the same thing that I look at with network marketing. Like when you get to the college level, you know, the coaches recruit the best athletes that's available. They go out and get the talents that they need. They go out and create the all-star teams and, and the relay teams. And then you go and you got all these resources and so forth. And it was just really interesting how I saw that. And then I, I made a comparison to network marketing. And so in network marketing, you, I look at it like I'm starting off at a high school as an athlete getting on the basketball team or getting on the track team. And we're going to work hard with what we have because this is all, all that we have available. Now, as we continue to grow, as we continue to evolve, you know, I, I don't care who's on the team. All I need is I look for the same three things, someone with a good work ethic, someone with character, and someone that has desire. You know, if somebody has money and no desire, then you can, you can do a little bit, but not much. If they have desire and no money, we can do a lot. Now, if they have desire and money, oh, the rest is history. Now, if they have no desire and no money, I can't, it's not much I can do with you. And so it's literally a matter of finding out what people really want, what their goals are, what their individual goals are, you know, what, what rank do you want to have? You know, you can't put someone on the same game plan Let's just say, for example, you have someone that they just want to make a thousand dollars a month, five hundred to a thousand dollars a month. Great story. We can show them how to do that within the compensation plan. Do you have some people that want to make ten thousand dollars a month, but they don't want to do ten thousand dollars worth of work for a month? If that makes sense. And then you have some people that's like, hey, we want to make twenty, twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars a month. And that's a different bargain because you can't put somebody, and this is a mistake that we often make in our network marketing, you can't put somebody that only wants to make $1,000 a month on a $25,000 a month game plan. Right. Just like you can't put somebody that wants to make twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a month on a $2,000 a month game plan. And so the biggest thing that I learned in sports and in track and field and cross country is that we would have what we call workout partners. And so when it came to a workout partner, that would be somebody on our team that was either on our level or ran a faster time than we did, right? And so the goal would be for us to train with each other and, you know, step it up a little bit. Um, that way you get a more intimate, a more personalized setting. 
And so, or, or training session, if that's what you want to call it. And so it's the same thing with network marketing. If I got somebody who wants to make $1,000 a month and somebody else wants to make 1000 or 1500 a month, I'm going to pair them up. If I have somebody who wants to do uh, 20000 a month or 25000 a month, you know, even if they're in different legs of business, then I'm going to pair them up because you, you can probably say this, you know, if you go through your whole organization, you have a lot of customers and uh, you're probably the best in the game when it comes to uh you know, getting customers and customers acquisition, and then you have your promoters, I'm pretty sure that you can probably make a phone call to maybe 10 to 15 people within your whole entire organization and find out what's going on in one of your organization with the call with 10 to 15 people. And so it's pretty much the same concept. Identify a handful of leaders or just a handful of hundred people, and then you start matching people up with workout partners, meaning that they want to hold themselves accountable. We're going to have accountability sessions, and then we're going to take those small individual sessions, and we're going to use that to create a dominant team to where we're all moving toward one goal. I love that. Um, I want to go back to uh, just building internationally in general. What are some of the cultural differences have you ever that that you've personally experienced? Do you still do some of this accountability stuff with people overseas? Uh, how is that? How has that worked for you? Yeah, it's really different. Um, it's really different because I'm a history, I, I'm a chess player, first of all, so I'm very strategic, and then I'm really into history. And so, and I like to try different foods. So when I'm in Latin America, it's different from a culture standpoint because they eat a lot of queso, they eat a lot of cheese, and I don't eat cheese. I don't like cheese. So, you know, I have to order alternative things on the menu and things of that nature, but I think from a cultural standpoint, um, the big, my best memory, I've had, I have a lot, but the biggest one we're in Vegas, and I have my uh, team from Taiwan and Malaysia. They're in Las Vegas, and we're eating dinner. And I ordered with Joe's, this place called Joe's. It's a good seafood spot with uh, steak and everything. So I order my food, and I bring the food out. And you know, I got, like, a steak or something like that. And, and so I got my food, and literally my team member, she was one of my top producers right beside me, reaches in my plate. And takes her, her knife and cuts a big piece of my, or a small piece to the steak. And then she puts it in her plate. And then it's like everybody's sharing their food, right? Uh-huh. I'm not used to this. So I didn't even want to eat the meal. And she's like, no, you have to learn to share. This is culture. We share. And I think we have to learn how to share. And so everybody is sharing the food and sharing the plate. So I definitely had to get, get used to that because, uh, when I, you know, when I would go to, uh, Vietnam and, when I would go to um, Taiwan and, and Hong Kong and, and places like that, and even Korea, you know, we're eating. We do a team dinner or a team lunch or something, and, and we're all eating and, and so forth, and everybody's sharing the food. And so I had to get used to that. <laughs> it was a little different. But, uh, you know, from another cultural standpoint, some of the cultures, some of these countries, the people are more laid back. Um, for example, if I go to Korea, you know, I can wear, I got to come in, I got to, I put on a tailor-made suit. You know, I'm fresh, clean cut, everything's in place. Now, if I go to another country, it's different. I can wear jeans and a polo shirt or just a t-shirt or something. And, and you know, people are still going to sign up and, you know, things are very, very laid back. And so uh, the language barrier was definitely, in some of the countries, it's not so bad. But Thailand, hands down, I, I, you know. I would do things that this is another thing. Do not try this at home. Don't go to countries and try to do meetings without translators, okay? Uh, because this is something that I did. And the first time I went to Thailand, I just knew I was going to crush it in Thailand and get a lot of people in the cold market. Um, that didn't work out. No success at all. The language barrier was by far the most difficult. And it was tough, but it was, it was a learning experience. So I learned and learned and learned. And I kept learning. And so, yeah. So it's a lot of different culture differences in a lot of different countries. And you just have to be able to adjust and keep it moving. So <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine you trying to, like, do a presentation somewhere. And they're just all staring at you. Like, who are you? What's wrong with you? Uh, so, so would you say that the development of the 30 plus millionaires has so much to do with that accountability then? Do you think that that accountability partner thing is a huge component in your success? A lot of it has to do with the accountability. Um, but the number one thing that I have to do is the belief. 
you start getting people, and obviously that can be traced back to accountability because they're writing their goals down, and you start, you know, you can't just say, when I look at all the people in my organization or within my team or who I've been affiliated with who are making over $100,000 a month or more today, it's only been two people who really believe from the beginning that they could reach that number. Mm. Everybody else, it was a one step at a time. It was a step-by-step process. It was, okay, let's get you to $1,000 a month, then $5,000 a month, then ten, then $25, then $50, then $100, and then the rest is history. So it was a one-step process. And um, a lot of my success, most people don't know this. You know, most people think, oh, you're just a broker, or you just go sponsor a good leader, or this is... No, a lot of my success has actually come from organic non-networkers or it came from networkers who didn't have a lot of success or they were like what I would call C players. If they had success, it was success that they had back in the Fortune High Tech Marketing or the Excel Communication days or the NSA days years ago, but nothing that was adjusted to the modern the modern technology. And so, and of course, we had a couple of people Oh, we had a few people who, who did very, very well to have network marketing experience, but the basis of the organization is, is mostly non-networkers. And, and after watching what you do and, and watching people like Jeffrey Birdie and others, you know, I had to reshift my whole philosophy around 2015. And that's when I really started going after customers. Like I, you know, it was a customer model, but I really wasn't pushing a customer model. It was 2015. I really started focusing on customers. And we, it took some time, but we slowly started growing it. And then also we started focusing on the retail, which is getting back to the basics of showing somebody how they can make cash money and put cash money right in their pockets. And so that's made a big difference as well. So do you have a system for building belief in people since you're doing a, an organic build, like you mentioned, or is, or is it just... Yeah. Do you have a system for that? For people, yeah, like, there's a lot of people who listen to this who are at that one to five thousand or something a month. Yeah. And, so I do have a system with that, and um, it's simple. You know, I don't care what package somebody joins in because in our company we have multiple packages of multiple different ways that people can come in. So uh, they can come in at the lowest level, which is about fifty bucks. They can come in at the highest level, which is about twelve hundred bucks. I personally don't care what package that they come in at. My philosophy is take them big, take them small, take them all. Okay? So take them big, take them small, take them all. And so the first step, this is, you know, is the first thing is three-step process. The first thing I want to show people how to do is what I call get position. They get position, whatever package they can afford, they get position, right? Then the second step is I want, it's called get position, hit position, then get the recognition. So get position, Hit position, get the recognition. So the first step, they get position, meaning they join a business. They, they made a decision to become a distributor or a promoter or affiliate or whatever people call it. So they get position. The second step is they hit position. And so by hitting up the first major uh, rank in a comp plan, um, we know that if they do this, they're going to make their money back. So I basically show them how to make their investment back right away. And so part of that process is by them hitting the, the first major recognition rank in the compensation plan. And, um, you know, because once, once they uh, made their money back, then boom, you know, everything after that is profit mode for the most part. And so we just got to show them how to cover their overhead. The third step is get the recognition. What that simply means is that once you hit your position, we have different ranks in our compensation plan. And so the recognition, every time you get a certain rank, you get a pay increase or a pay raise. And so we drive people to get the recognition because if they're accelerating or, or they're getting promoted or they're rank advancing, that means their check is going up. And when their check is going up, then that means that, okay, we're making money. And when they're making money, that means their stress level goes down as long as they, you know, if they don't have a lot of drama or negative energy coming in. And so those are the first three things, get position, hit position, and get the recognition. And then the next step, or the, the second set of rules that I have or a system that I have is what I call the 500. It's really about, these are the, these are the numbers. These are the magic numbers. Um, 500, 1,000, 2,500, 5,000, 10,000, 25,000. 
All right, so it's 500, 1,000, 2,500, 5,000, 10,000, 25,000. So it's really six steps, and those are what I call the income projections, like what do you want your income to be? And so when I say a step-by-step process, it's really a six-step process. So we want to show somebody how to make $500 in a, in a calendar month or in a four-week time frame. And then after that, the next step is we want to push them to get 1000 And after that, we want to push them to get 2500 and then 5000 and then 10000 10000 is actually... It's good, but it's also dangerous because when people hit that $10,000 a month mark, what I've noticed is that they either, there's something that happens in their mind where they say, man, I'm making $10,000 a month. This is more than what I make on my job. Either their mind tells them, I don't really deserve this, or their mind tells them, man, I can keep pushing and so when they hit that ten grand, I don't recognize a twenty thousand dollar a month spot spot because they can go from ten grand to twenty five thousand because they can push themselves. Because once they hit ten thousand or five thousand, all they have to do is just show somebody. Every time somebody makes five hundred, if they go to a thousand, they just if they hit five hundred, all they have to do is show several other people how to make five hundred. If they hit a thousand, just show some other people how to hit a thousand. If they hit twenty five hundred. A thousand. If they hit five thousand, show some people how to hit twenty five hundred. If they hit ten thousand, show some people how to hit five thousand. So we keep it simple, and we kind of, you know, we break it down to where it's very, very understandable. And when somebody hits that twenty five thousand dollar a month mark, um, then they're on their own. But at ten thousand, you know, very few people are going to go from ten to twenty five because they either get comfortable or their mind says they don't deserve it, or they get the big head, they get the ego, or they just think they got it made. And in some cases, you see people retire early or semi-retire. And I can tell you, if you want to go retire, or if you want to go buy your dream car, your dream house, or whatever it is you want to do, that is not the time to start working the business. If anything, it should give you motivation to work the business more. I feel like this is the perfect time to transition. <laughs> because... God, you nailed it. I cannot stand the Lamborghinis. I cannot stand the giant houses. I cannot stand. I cannot stand. I cannot. Like, how many diamonds do you need when you're making $10,000 a month? This is too much. Johnny Green, my friend, you and I both, we talk finances all the time, nearly every day. Uh, I think it's time for some common sense with Johnny Green. And thank you for that. I love that. Get the position hit the position, get the recognition. I hope everybody wrote down those three steps. I love the take them big, take them small, take them all. I'm the same way. I don't really care if you come in with, you know, 50 bucks or 1500. I don't care. Are you going to work? Do you have that burning desire like you were talking about? Because that's like, the, that's the one thing I find we can't teach, right? We cannot teach burning desire. And there are wealthy people who still have burning desire. And there are broke people who do not have burning desire. So it's just kind of a sifting and sorting thing. So I completely agree. And I love that. Take them big, take them small, take them all. Uh, And those levels, you know. So I hope everybody wrote down those number levels. He went over them a couple of different times. So you know kind of almost where to categorize people. That'll probably also help you find people's accountability partners if somebody's asking you for that. Is simply by knowing where they actually currently are and where they want to go. And I would focus on that if you guys are listening to this for some coaching because there are people who will say they want to make the 25000 a month and they're not even at five. And so you might get all excited and say, oh, this person's at that. They're not at that level. They're not at that level. So beep, beep, back it up and get them accountability partners that are where they are, but a little bit better. I love all that. All right. So you already, you, are you ready to talk some common sense, Johnny Green? Yeah, I do common sense. What you want me to say? Common sense ain't so common. That's the first thing. Common sense ain't so common. Lord have mercy. Ain't that true? Okay. You've been in the business for 16 years. What are some common things you see happen and sabotage people? Oh, you know, that is a very broad question, but it's also a very good question. So let's, I'll start off with the, well, I guess it, it goes together. You got things that happen to people and things that sabotage the business. So first thing is what I noticed is that when people start making more money, they say money is a magnifier. You know, it magnifies what you already are. It makes you more of what you already are. 
the best piece of advice, if I had to give one single piece of advice, what I would give to anybody listening to this podcast, no matter where your income is at right now, no matter what your financial situation is at right now, when you start making more money, the best advice I can give you is to stay humble and remain humble. Um, the reason I say that is from a standpoint, you know, it's nothing wrong with having confidence. Confidence is a beautiful thing. You know, it's a difference between being confident and being arrogant. But never feel like you are too good to reach down and stick your hand out and help somebody that needs it. Mm. What I mean by that is I see people who get in, they get in a company, and they, they start making us money, and then they walk away from the job or whatever, and then they continue to make money, and then they're doing very well, right? But then it's like they probably forgot that a few years ago or a couple of years ago, they probably forgot where their position was when they joined the network marketing business or when they joined the company. You know, they probably forgot that, hey, they were broke at one point too. So don't just assume that everybody got it just because you're making whatever your goals are and you're making your money, right? At the same time, don't feel bad for busting your butt and achieving those goals. Right. But what I will say is when you look back, you know, think about that person who spent that last, whatever, they joined the business and they gave you that 500 in volume or, or that 250 in volume that, that helped you achieve that next rank in your compensation plan. You know, never forget what they did. They joined the business, they was excited. That helped you achieve your rank in a compensation plan. But at the same time, never look back and be like, oh, well, I got mine. I can't go back. I can't go out and help you get yours, mm-hmm. you know, because they have dreams too. You know, they might want to, you know, make some extra money or get a new car or, you know, whatever. Put some money in the bank, send the children to college or whatever the case is. So that's that's one of the things. And then the second thing I tell networkers, we see this a lot. And I think some statistics that I learned in an event, when they told me that 60% of our networkers are either broke or they only have enough money to last them for two months, after if their company was to ever, you know, shut down or if the check was to ever stop, that was a wake up call to me. So I would definitely say save your money. Whatever you can, you know, pay your taxes also. But uh, save your money. If you're able to save thirty percent, try to do that. It's not gonna happen overnight, but you know, do that one step at a time because that that can make a lot of difference. You know, you wanna have I'm a big believer in making sure that you have liquid. You know, make sure you have some liquid cash or some liquid somewhere in the bank or whatever, versus just getting a bunch of money and then, you know, I've seen I've seen it all, man. I've had people um, who I've seen been making forty, fifty grand a month and they're spending sixty to seventy a month. You yep. know what I mean? And then yep. I've seen some people, you know, they're making twenty five to thirty a month and they're spending three thousand a month. So, you know, my whole thing is save your money and uh budget your money. And just because your company or wherever you're at, just because you have a good momentum run, that doesn't mean eventually it has to plateau out. Sometimes you take a dip, uh, but it, sometimes it's going to go up and spike up. But, you know, you save your money and be wise. Yeah, I see a lot of people. I talk about this sometimes keeping up, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses. I don't even know who the Joneses are. But it's crazy because, you know, so you and I are, are business partners and, and not in network marketing. And it's funny because we'll have conversations. You'll be like, you know, do you got money for this? I'm like, Johnny Green, I am your cheap friend. I got money for whatever we need. Where are we going to put it? What are we going to do? How are we going to compound this? What are we going to? And it's never been with both of us. It's never been, you know, all right, let's go rent a yacht for the weekend and spend 50K. Let's go, you know, stupid stuff, you know, just stupid stuff that we see people doing all the time and in times of economic contracture like we are about to deal with now the networkers who were not that 60 percent you just talked about by the way it's a terrifying statistic if that's if it's accurate that 60 percent of people thank god we're not that 60 percent you know so i've always loved you know being around you it's like that's that's john like i remember the first time i met you i'm like that's johnny green johnny green not that fancy i kind of like it because i'm not that fancy and uh i think sometimes especially in the social media era, you know, there's just so many people who 
they're so quick to think that everything is reality. You know, the person sitting up against a house, it's probably not their house. The person flashing the Rolex, maybe it's their friends. You know, like I think about when I've been around you and I put on your, uh, you had a ring on where I guess you had made $2 million in a company and I took a photo of it. And I had people that were like, oh my God, you, I didn't even know you were in that company. You made $2 million with them. I'm like, oh my gosh, people literally do not do not know what is real and what is not online. So you trying to keep up with people is one of those things that is going to cause you to do nothing but fail. You know, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. You can elaborate, but I see people make $4,000 a month and they're like, time to go get Gucci shoes. And I'm like, ah! oh my God, oh my God. Uh, makes me want to have a heart attack. But um, do you have any advice? I loved that advice on try to save 30%. Um, I did a finance podcast. It was one of my most downloaded podcasts, like 19,000 downloads or something already. Uh, just on some like basic finance stuff. And so I know people are craving that kind of information. I gave them the basic formula that I like to use for, and I coach people. But is there something you like to tell people uh, when they when they are in business with you when it comes to their money? Well, here's what I would say. You know, being a networker is, is the same as being a, a athlete or artist. And so what I mean by that is you're a networker. You're not necessarily provided all the tools. You're not necessarily connected with a good financial advisor or something like that, you know? And so I think that what happens is that with some of these athletes, they make all this money and there's people, they can't believe that after two or three years, they're broke. They can't believe it. Mm -hmm. Like, how did it happen? And so I would say this time around, our economy is on the verge of probably heading toward a global recession, okay? And back in two, I was talking to a gentleman yesterday and it was a gentleman who I know he got he got into network marketing uh due to the recession we had around 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. And the guy became a millionaire. And we just talked in and he was just saying, well, this is how I found the industry, you know? It was, uh, you know, I was in a mortgage business and this is what happened. And so I think that with what could be happening, the advice that I was always told as a child is if you don't, if you can't pay for it in cash, you don't need it. Mm. Uh, so if you can't afford it, you don't need it. Now, obviously that kind of tweaked a little bit. It kind of changed a little bit when I got a little older. Um, but I will tell people is that right now is not the time to go buy a bunch of things that you don't need. Now, I'm not saying by any means don't go enjoy your money. You're making money, maximize the tax write-off, you know, enjoy your money, buy nice things, buy things that you want, treat yourself with gold. You know, if you hit a goal, go treat yourself and do whatever you want. That, that part I agree with. But I will say, think about, you know, think about the future. You know, when you're making money, you're saving, let's say you're saving 30% or a little bit more. Um, it's going to come to a point to where the home-based business industry is about to experience a serious boom. And because of what's going on with some of the things that's happening in the economy, it's going to experience a, a serious boom. If you got some international businesses, the cool part about it is one market could be a little down while another market could be up and so forth. Um, so you can get to you can get to reap the benefits of uh, some of that. But what I will say is that be wise, be smart, um, make sure you're saving stuff and you know invest it wisely. If you don't have a financial advisor, get you a financial advisor, and um, just just be strategic. You know because the goal is not to just create a millionaire or create a six figure earner or have somebody make ten thousand dollars a month, whatever the case. That's that doesn't excite me. You know, what, excite, what excites me is to see people on a team and, you know, even people outside. I like to see people win in general, right? But I like to see people win and also pay it forward and help people and, you know, give back to their charity or whatever they got going on. But also, it's not just becoming a millionaire and being a millionaire this year. You know, how about being a millionaire next year? And a millionaire to follow you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because you're going to have some ups and downs in your business. I mean, that's just the way business is. You know, you're going to have some good months. You're going to have some bad months. You're going to have some slow months. You're going to have some fast months. You're going to have some good years. You're going to have some bad years. You're going to have some great years. You know, the important thing, the most important thing is to make sure you have balance to where you can balance everything out and be wise with it. I love that. And, uh, you know, even if it's not, 
the whole necessary the concept necessarily of if you can't afford it in cash you don't need it anymore since a lot of us aren't dealing in cash but if it gives you the flipping heebie-jeebies to think about spending the five thousand dollars on the louis vuitton bag you know or the two hundred fifty thousand dollars on five hundred that whatever it is on the lamborghini whatever it is like i want you to at least have that moment where you're like is this a bad idea is this a bad idea? And if it sounds like a bad idea, it might be a bad idea. So thank you for your advice on that. And, uh, you know, I would just say, I agree. Keep stacking your cash. Keep stacking your cash. That just seems like common sense. But like you said at the beginning of this part of the podcast, common sense ain't that common. So um, I do respect your time. I know we are uh, a little over the 45-minute mark. And so I just have one more question for you if you would answer it for me. Okay, but before I do, uh, we are doing a scavenger hunt on the podcast for the word. The letter of this podcast, for those, I know you have no idea what I'm doing, Johnny, but those of you who are listening to the podcast and listening along to spell the word for the prize, the letter of Johnny Green's podcast is I, as in international man of mystery. <laughs> That's so perfect. So uh, I, I as in igloo, as in... Yeah, international. I'm going to stick with international. <laughs> uh, Johnny Green, my dear friend, I would love for you to give one final tip that you think if somebody heard it today, it might change their entire business if they apply it. What would that tip be? I'm going to give you two tips. Oh! Is that everybody's living their best life on social media. So don't believe everything you see. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second tip, I hope it changed your life because it changed mine. Um, I don't know if it's going to change your life, but I'm going to say this. I've tried every single shortcut in network marketing. Or at least I think I've tried every single uh, shortcut in network marketing. And also, um, you know, I failed every, every way possible. So the last tip that I'm going to leave you with is to stay consistent and don't ever, ever give up. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love you. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for this episode of the podcast. I think people are going to get tremendous value from it. Um, If you did get value from this, make sure you screenshot this, put this in your stories and make sure you tag a friend and definitely Johnny and myself so we can reach out to you. Thanks so much, Johnny. I love you. And thank you so, 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 so much for being my friend. Hi, thanks so much, Jesse. Thanks for being on the podcast and having me on the podcast. Thank you.